What is robotic surgery, and how does a busy, involved gynecologic oncologist create a work-life balance? The answer to those questions and more on this episode of Essential Partners. Our guest today is Dr. Martin Martino. Marty, delighted to have you. Marty and I go back to Jersey days when I was at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and he was a uh, fledgling OBGYN resident. Welcome, Marty. Thank you, Tom. So you didn't just go to medical school in New Jersey. You're a kid from New Jersey, raised in a small Italian town known as Port Reading. And then you decided to be a doctor. Tell us a little bit about those humble origins of Marty Martino <laughs> in Port Reading, and tell us what drew you into the field of medicine and then gynecologic oncology. Thanks, Tom. You know, Port Reading is a small town all the way on the eastern portion of New Jersey across from Staten Island, and it's an Italian settlement where the Italian and Irish had, had gone when they came to Ellis Island, really based on, on family, the core values, and, and our church and our faith and our community. So uh, growing up in that environment uh, it was interesting because, you know, I have a twin sister. It's just the two of us, and uh, we would do things in our, in our town. Uh, we'd go to our, our local school as well and, and participate in our church activities as well. We also played football. Back in, in those days, uh, you know, you think anything because anything's possible. And as a child, thinking about what to do, I always dreamed about trying to do new things. So if I recall correctly, it wasn't just Robert Wood Johnson Med School. It was Rutgers as an undergrad? Yeah, I went to Rutgers as well. You know, but growing up when I was young, uh, my mother became ill. We thought she, that she was, uh, was pregnant. And my father is a Marine, was a Marine, once a Marine, always a Marine. He was at work, and we were home, and suddenly the ambulance started to arrive at our house, and my sister and I weren't quite sure what was happening, and they whisked her away to the emergency room and then out of the hospital. Before we knew it, uh, she was transferred to Memorial Sloan Kettering, uh, where um, she was admitted, and they diagnosed her with a stage four cancer. I learned that she had 13 lesions in her lung. You know, at that time, children were not allowed up on the floor, on the 11th floor, so we were raised with, you know, our father and our family and, you know, learned a lot. Thankfully, through a clinical trial that she was placed on in the 70s, the stage 4 cancer of the tumor had melted away, uh, and she was placed into a long-term remission. And I went to Rutgers at that point and said, now what to do? And that's where I started to think about my childhood and about how can I use the experiences that I've had. And, you know, I enjoyed working with my hands, doing different things. And how could I put those together? And that's where I wanted to really help people and become a doctor. So how, how do you put things together with your hands? Obviously, the allure then was surgery, and there were multiple surgical fields that you could have chosen from. When did you choose gynecologic oncology, and why? Through medical school, I kept an open mind and, and I enjoyed uh, orthopedic surgery and general surgery and family medicine and really enjoyed many of the specialties and realized that OBGYN had a balance of really good and strong medicine as well as surgery. As I got more involved in OBGYN, I had done an elective fellowship called the Galloway Fellowship at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Uh, and it was there, and I realized this is what I want to do. I actually found myself sitting in a, in a gift shop uh, one day uh, after rounds and closed my eyes and realized, wow, this, I was in the same place. 
about 20 years plus ago and uh, saw my sister running around and that's that was a calling when I knew this was where I want to be. And so I can't help but comment on the irony that your mom's inpatient experience at MSK then that was followed by your fellowship at MSK and then now you are a part of the second institution that's part of the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Alliance, the I-Valley Health Network. Yeah, it's, it's really an honor to be at. And, and one of those uh, memories that you have as that as a child, you know, after two to three months of not seeing our mother, was when her physician had brought her down with the team of white coats at the time behind him. His name was Dr. Jones. And he brought her down the elevator and he put, she was in a wheelchair, she didn't have any hair. And he wheeled her over to us. And, you know, he got down on his knee and he said to me and my sister, he said, guys, come here. And we sat down and he said, here's your mom. Look at her. She's going to be just fine. And, uh, you know, to this day, it's one of those times you close your eyes, you thank God and really appreciate uh, everything that we have. So you and I both know, and, and perhaps some of our listeners know, that the surgical robot was really spawned in the Department of Defense in DARPA. And the philosophy behind its inception was to be able to do remote battlefield operative interventions where the operating surgeon on the robot would be far from the front line and then less imperiled and able to be preserved for operations upon other injured sailors and soldiers. That's mushroomed, and you've been in the forefront of it. So tell us about how you became the founder and medical director of our nationally recognized, in large part because of you, robotic surgery program here at Lehigh Valley Health Network. Through training, I was fortunate to, um, or not, but I I had seen a number of large incisions, and we call them laparotomies, uh, that a number of patients uh, would, would have. And that was the technology that was available at the time. Over the course of my residency, we started to have improved technology with laparoscopy and minimal surgery. And uh, I was came to Lehigh Valley Health Network to do that, to build a minimal surgery program. But several years in, uh, I noticed the technology continuing to evolve and change. And uh, about one in three to one in four times, we would still start through a laparoscopy and then open um, for uh, different limitations that we would have. And that's when I, I looked at robotics again, because I had seen it as a resident uh, in 2001. But then several years later, I, when, when I was practicing now, I looked at it from a different light, and the technology improved. The arms had articulation that was improved. The enhanced vision offered me a 3D view. And uh, the dexterity and the degrees of freedom were remarkable. And that's when I, I said, let's try and, and bring this in. And it's actually something that we did together as, as a team to build that for, uh, with both gynecologic oncology and, and urology to form our base. And we've grown that uh, now uh, thoughtfully, collaboratively, um, and uh, year after year have continued to offer additional services. Now we've, up to, we've grown to 11 service lines across our community. We have 10 robots uh, and possibly more in the future. Uh, we've got over 50 surgeons that are now able to use this technology and really offer this to our community. So rather than doing a large incision only when needed, now we can offer the minimal invasive approach as well. So now, as you've just really alluded to, it's become mainstream therapy. And you and others across the land and across the world have demonstrated certain significant benefits 
from robotic surgery, even over the more traditional minimally invasive surgical approaches. But early adopters, and I would suggest particularly in healthcare, frequently will confront naysayers and disbelievers and those who cherish the way it, quote, has always been, even though it has not necessarily always been that way. So in those early days, tell us about what you faced and some of the challenges that you took on. Sure. You know, in the early days, uh, we started in 2008. As we started to develop this new technology, we had to learn how to use the technology and also uh, how to teach this to our residents uh, and our fellows. So in terms of learning the technology, uh, we had simulation and we practiced together. Uh, but when a case would come in to ask for, our, for us to help them, there often wasn't someone who had done these procedures before. One case in particular I could think of is a young girl who um, was born without a cervix. And one of the other niches that even though as a gynecological oncologist I I do, I also care for women who are attempting to become pregnant and maybe infertile. So was had no cervix, and uh, she was 13 to 14, and her physicians were recommending hysterectomy as an option because she was having pain when she developed her menses. So we looked at at her case, and as a team, we said, you know, we think that we'll be able to reconstruct her pelvic anatomy, and um, we were able to actually do that because we had experience in managing cervical cancer cases. So we uh, reconstructed her uterus, and we were able to help her, uh, hopefully to have a family. The procedure worked. Those are early adopters. Um, the naysayers are there. We've held firm uh, and said, you know, never be afraid to do the right thing. As an oncologist, I know you've had to make some very difficult decisions. What are one or two of the toughest challenges you've encountered, and how did you deal with them? Some of the toughest cases that we have are patients who have, a, you know, have an advanced cancer. Uh, these are often you know, young, young moms or moms and daughters and trying to decide what's the best thing to do. And uh, I remember early on in my career here uh, actually coming to speak with you about a very difficult case. The patient had a large 35-centimeter mass in her pelvis. Uh, she was admitted to one of our hospitals. She was on a ventilator. I wasn't exactly sure of the next best step. I thought about operating, but if we didn't, she may not survive. And, uh, you know, your words were telling, and you said, take care of her as if she were your mom. Take care, you know, of her as best you think. You know, we did operate on her and took good care of her. So whenever we're faced with a stage four cancer, there are naysayers that say the cancer is metastatic to the lungs and the bone. It's widely metastatic, and they may not survive, or they're it's too far gone. And I look at that and say, it's not. It may not be. Let's give them hope. Let's give them a chance. And let's see if, if we can make that difference, uh, especially with new trials and new therapies that come out. So you never know. So I want to always continue to try. Always best to have anybody in oncology who has that positive thinking. Please stay with us as we are next going to hear this important message from Lehigh Valley Health Network. Smith and Watson Worldwide. What do you think? Has a nice ring to it, right? Not bad. Not bad. But check this out. Watson and Smith Worldwide. See what I did there? Huh. Yeah. Uh, future business partners. Ready? Ready? Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Loyal partners. 
Ah, this is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. Got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Whether you need serious clinical care, a routine exam, or tips on how to live a fuller, happier life, one of the best health networks in the country is never more than a short drive away. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. So welcome back to our session with gynecologic oncologist, Dr. Marty Martino. Marty, I know you were recently promoted to full professor at the University of South Florida College of Medicine. First and foremost, congratulations. Thank you. So that academically is really an apex or culmination of a long educational journey. What do you remember most about your personal educational journey? The full professorship, I think, uh, was was really, you know, like you said, the culmination. And I and when I was given that uh, that letter, uh, I did call my dad and I said, Dad, I said, I'm you know, going to be given this award down in, in Florida, in Tampa. Would you like to come? He said, absolutely. And uh, so we flew together, went down, and we had a Father-Son Day, uh, an evening. And as we uh, went and, and met with Dr. Lockwood, he's, my father said, you know, we both have the same name. <laughs> and I said, you're right, we do. He said, I'm thinking I should come up there with you. Uh, unless you want me to go and get it for you. And I was like, no, no. I was like, why don't we go up together? And uh, so he and I went up together, and I think that that was very memorable. Tell us about your your faith and your family, and how do you try to create a work-life balance? I believe uh, very much in my faith. Uh, I believe in God. Uh, I, um, you know, I go to church uh, regularly. On Sundays, you can often find our family at 1030 on the front right, uh, second row. My family, I'm very fortunate. I have a, you know, a wonderful wife, Jamie. Uh, she's a nurse practitioner. Uh, she was a labor and delivery nurse, which is how we met at Robert Wood Johnson. Or we have three children. I try and coach. I try and be involved. I do my best to be a, a, the best father I can uh, as well from the family side for a work-life balance. There are certainly many satisfactions in being a physician. What's the best part about your being a physician? Uh, you know, in surgery, as you know, or plan our work, then work our plan and stay focused on that. And after the procedure, when it's done, uh, when we go to the waiting room, our families are there and we'll bring them back and I'll sit down with them and I'll talk with them and go through the procedure. And it's at that moment often that, you know, when we often explain things went, went well and as planned, that's one of the most, you know, rewarding, I think. And you can look at our, in our on patients' families' eyes and say, mom's going to be okay. That's rewarding. The concluding question for each episode of Essential Partners. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, well, I, I certainly believe it does and would, uh, would hope that uh, he would say, welcome, come on in. Uh, you've done a great job. Uh, we've been building robots up here. We've got many more up here, and uh, you know, hopefully, come in and, and work with some of these as well. Excellent answer. Thank you. So, our guest today has been Dr. Marty Martino, gynecologic oncologist at Lehigh Valley Health Network and medical director of our robotic surgery program. Thank you very much, Marty, and we hope all of you will listen 
to the next episode of Essential Partners.